Hey friends, this is Holly Goodman, and you're listening to Isaac's Autism Wild Podcast, where we focus on topics related to raising loved ones touched by autism and its impact on relationships and family. I'll be sharing some of my personal parenting experiences, raising my son Isaac, who passed away in 2007, as well as an entirely different parenting experience as I now raise my son Caleb, who never ceases to blow my mind with his beautiful autism perspectives. So grab a drink and join me as I interview this week's group of exceptional autism parents. Thank you for joining us for another episode of Isaac's Autism Wild podcast. Today is a little bit different. So if you're hearing this recording and it sounds odd because you're in your car, um, it should sound different because we are recording live at Batati on Garland. Actually, what's the address? Because I, oh, 733 West Garland. You got to come in. It is absolutely gorgeous. Fantastic venue. So open. It's actually kitty corner to the milk bottle. So those of you that are in Spokane listening, it's a little um, nondescript as you're driving by, but it is beautiful. So we thank you guys for hosting us for this. They put us up on a stage. We look all official. And I'm joined with my two guests. I have John Lemus, who is from Spokane. He's a self-advocate that we all know and love. And so I'll have him introduce himself a little bit more. And then we also have a guest from out of Spokane. We have Tracy Cohen, who is from Michigan, who is the author of a couple books we're going to introduce here in a minute. Um, Both of you are self-advocates. And actually, we're going to dive into that a little bit deeper as we start asking questions. But John, since you're to my right, would you mind just introducing yourself for those that may not be familiar and those that are listening? Sure. Well, thank you for having me. My name is uh, John Lemus. Um, I have several roles in our community, but um, I'm the advocacy coordinator for At Work here in Spokane and the vice president of People First and also an individual on the spectrum. So glad to be here. And would you explain At Work, what that organization is for those? Sure. So At Work is a organization that offers supported employment services. Um, I am lucky enough to work on their public policy team. Um, And so most recently, we just got a bill passed in our state that bans sub-minimum wage in Washington state. So we're pretty proud of that. Yeah. And we are very grateful for the work that you did. You put a lot of time and effort in that. And so for all of those on the spectrum and those parents who have children on the spectrum, I just want you to know that your work is very valuable. So thank you for that. Now, Tracy, thank you for coming. You're from Michigan. You, um, We actually had you on a podcast, um, I don't know, was it a month and a half ago or a couple yeah, months ago? I think ago? it was like June. Yeah. And um, we had talked about you are an avid runner because you've written three books, one about running, two about your experiences on your experience as a woman on the autism spectrum. And so we had talked in that podcast about, oh, you should come to Spokane. If you're ever in Spokane, we should do a thing. And then you said, well, I take things very literally, which I totally get because as you know, I'm a special needs parent. So I totally, that's my world. And so we talked afterwards and we thought, well, how fantastic if you could come to Spokane participate in a an event, a running event, and then we could do a book signing. And then here we are. We made it happen, everybody. So I'm just super like proud of us for doing it. And so we've been showing you got here on Saturday. You competed on Sunday. I'll, we'll talk about that towards the end. But would you go ahead and introduce yourself and then um, just tell us about the two books specifically that are related to our autism community. For sure. Um, First, thank you so much for having me out. And um, I'm just meeting John for the first time. So thank you, John. And nice to meet you. And thank you for all you do. So I, 
I was born on the autism spectrum, but um, didn't know autism existed um, until I was 30 and I was diagnosed at 39. And I have written three books, two of the books on autism. Um, the first is Six Word Lessons on Female Asperger Syndrome. And the second is My Life on the Autism Spectrum, Misunderstandings, Insight and Growth. I also work for a small nonprofit full spectrum agency for autistic adults. Yeah, so you are you work in the autism community in your hometown of of Michigan, right? Yes. Yeah, which is wonderful. So um, I'm going to ask a few questions. So we have some questions that we had preemptively. Again, if anybody here that's present has any questions that um, makes you think of a question you want me to ask, please raise your hand. But one of the things that I thought was interesting, and this actually was something that my program director, Anna, brought up, is, is that you were talking about being an advocate and you were actually uncomfortable with the term advocate. But interestingly enough, I've recorded a podcast with parents not too long ago. And come to find out for some parents, the word advocate and then being thanked by teachers or people in the community for being such a great advocate really has become somewhat triggering even for parents because advocacy means that you're, you're having to fight in order to get something or push in order to get something that's being perhaps not presented to you, you know, um, or offered to you initially, right? So you're having to advocate in order to have your needs met. And so for these parents, they mentioned how it's becoming almost a triggering word for them because it's like we're, as parents, we're very tired of having to advocate for every single thing our child needs all the time. So then when Anna mentioned that, I thought, well, this is so great because we had talked about this. And so I'd like to explore that a little bit, if you wouldn't mind. And then I'll um, ask your opinion, John. But we'll start with Tracy because you had this conversation just the other day. So how, you don't care for the word advocate. Um, it's, it's not so much that I don't care for it, depending on how it's used. It's just when I set out to write my first book, like advocacy was not the thought that came to mind. Um, my reason for writing my first book was because, again, we knew nothing. Um, when my mom tried to express concerns to doctors, friends and family, she was told that either I was a brat She's making too big of a deal out of things or she was a bad mom. And I just know that if if there had been if any, if somebody had a little bit of knowledge about it, if something had been left in the doctor's office, um, that she could have just gained a little bit of insight. It just would have made such a big difference in not only my life, but in the lives of, of my family. And so I said, out, and females especially are missed. Yeah, and that's so. True. I decided to write my first book and then have continued with my work to help. Um, that's kind of just my, you know, my way, who I am, to help, to provide information, um, to teach, to educate. Well, it means the same thing. Um, but it is a different connotation, though. You know? What's that? It's a different connotation when you talk about teaching and educate is different than what the word advocate uh, or an oh, advocate. Yeah. 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 So. In, in a lot of ways. And so it's it's not that I'm not an advocate, but um, that wasn't my intention. And I'm I'm a strong person, but I'm also I'm not a fighter. I believe kind of back to my work in the Peace Corps, um, they told us you you can't force change. You can't 
tell people, you know, what they are, who they are. You can be an example. You can plant seeds and, you know, do everything you can to nurture them and hope they grow. Yeah. And so that's kind of my approach. Oh, um, I just love the sound of that. That is so true, though, is, is that really a lot of the seeds that we're planting for education, it just has to be nurtured and more people aware of some of these things. So that that's a really good perspective. How about you, John? How does the, do you, because we do refer to you a lot as our, uh, our self-advocate. There are becoming more self-advocates in our community, but you have been kind of, I want to say the lone wolf there for a while where it's just something you've been comfortable doing. Not that there, he's the only one, so don't misunderstand. It's just that not a lot of our local individuals on the autism spectrum have felt comfortable in that space of being a public figure advocating for yourself and others on the spectrum. And so how does that term make you feel, John? You and I've had some separate, separate we, conversations. We so. so I, I am starting to um, pull back on the use of the word self-advocate because it's starting to get a negative connotation. You know, uh, a lot of the times I'll hear from other elected officials or, you know, Oh, here come those self-advocates again. Um, and when you think about it, um, it just ends up being another label for individuals with intellectual and developmental disabilities, right? And a lot of the times when people introduce me, they just say, oh, this is a self-advocate from this organization. Like, okay, my name is John. Yeah, I'm not just a self-advocate. Um, that's a part of the work that I do, but that's not my entire identity. And I think that as we continue to have those um, discussions across different cross sections that I think we'll see that term being used less and less. You know? So what would be alternative terms that feel better that maybe don't have as many stigmas? So it's funny when when people used to ask me what I did because I travel a lot for work, um, I would say I'm a self-advocate. Now I say, oh, I'm a public policy activist and I do policy and system change work. So anything that sounds like it's just not equated with the disability label. Sure. Well, that's actually segues nicely into my next question. So thank you for that, John. I really appreciate it. Um, terminology, because terminology is something in our autism community that's been uh heatly debated as of late, uh, just in terms of personal preferences when it comes to how you identify yourself. So again, I love what you said there is, is that, well, I'm John and I, you know, and here's what I do and the committees that I sit on or my role with at work. And so I think that's really interesting, but there are some self-advocates, those themselves that are on the autism spectrum that do not like people first language. Correct. And so would you mind just talking about, for those that are less familiar with maybe that discussion, would you mind just explaining, um, you know, the other side of that and why some individuals on the spectrum prefer other, other language? Sure. So I am a proponent of people first language. I believe that it's the most respectful for me. However, in the neurodiversity movement, there are individuals on the spectrum who refer to themselves as autistics. And the way that I equ equate identity first language is disability pride. 
Like, this is a part of my identity. I don't want you to take it away. I'm proud of being autistic. And so what I tell families and professionals, in fact, I was just doing a staff training for our folks the other day, is that it really should be up to the person and what their choice is of how they want to be referred to. Um, and I think that there are some individuals on the spectrum who work in the movement or are part of the movement who um, have really forgotten that, that it is about choice. It is, um, yeah. We shouldn't, you know, force people to identify with whatever we think is popular at the moment. Everybody should get that choice. Yeah. And we've talked about this too. You know, we are really becoming more comfortable with the LGBTQIA plus. Mm -hmm. I'm getting a thumbs up that I nailed it because it is changing <laughs> um, depending on how people identify and preferred pronouns. And so that is becoming more commonplace and people are, you know, understanding that and understanding preferred pronouns. And so it's interesting to me that while we can wrap our arms around that movement and being supportive of individuals in that community, we're getting some pushback within our own community because we're having disagreements amongst, you know, um, our own community of individuals mm -hmm. on the autism spectrum about terminology. So Tracy, you and I talked a little bit about this in our podcast. So I just want to make sure just in case you missed it, would you mind just talking to that and how your personal preferences? Yeah. Um, and I, I guess that's part of where the word advocate, you know, again, it's not that I'm not or so uncomfortable with it, but there, there seems to be a lot of fighting within and a lot of focus on things that are really not important. And, and when I say that, I don't mean that it's, it's not, in, that it, it's not important at all, but it's, it's about, it, it's about being respectful and being respectful. Like you said, it's an individual choice yeah. and somebody might use a word or use or not know somebody's preference and say one thing, but they're not meaning it to be disrespectful. And I think a lot of times that's apparent. And rather than being nitpicky, just inform somebody if you have a preference or how it comes off. And, mm -hmm. um, you know, let's let's get to the heart of the of the real issues. I agree. So I podcasted and interviewed my son, Caleb, who is 13 years old and on the autism spectrum. And Tracy, you got to meet Caleb. And John, you've met Caleb before mm -hmm. in the past. And what's interesting is I asked, he, when he was littler, he would get really upset when people would call him autistic. Now, that was in the time frame where he actually thought they thought his name was autistic. And so he's like, my name's Caleb. And so everybody was like, oh my gosh, that's so profound that he has, you know, he's really expressing himself that, well, no, he actually, because he's a very literal thinker, he thought people thought that's what his name was. But I asked him in this podcast, um, and now this is the 13-year-old Caleb, and I just said, what's your preference? And he says, I just, I don't like the terminology autistic because, you know, that's not me. You know, I'm just Caleb. And so, you know, I think what you're saying is just is being sensitive and, and taking the time to ask your preference and then doing your best to to honor that and, and respect those personal choices. So... You had mentioned the term neurodiversity, John, and I always pick on you. Would you mind just for those that may be unfamiliar with the term neurodiversity, would you mind just explaining? Sure. So neurodiversity to me um, just talks about the difference that, that we have across the neurodivergent spectrum, right? I always talk about when you've 
and I, I say this to our staff a lot, is that when you've met one person with autism, you've met one person with autism. Like it's a spectrum and there's a different thinking across that spectrum. And I think that that's important for people to, to consider. And I think that a lot of the times we, we don't do really a really good job at supporting neurodiverse individuals, right? Yeah. Now, neurodiversity doesn't necessarily mean on the autism spectrum. It can no. be an intellectual disability. Correct. It could yeah. be. Yeah. So it's not just autism specific, Correct. but right. it also really, correct me if I'm wrong, it aligns with those that prefer the terminology neurodiverse, neurodivergent, mm -hmm. indicates that there's not, they don't feel that there's anything wrong or broken about who they are. Right. And so that we just need to accept all individuals and embrace those individual differences. Correct. Yeah. And so I think, so this is a terminology you're going to be hearing more frequently. And I, I do really love the term and the concept is, is that it really embraces individual differences. And again, as you say, you'll, if you met one person with autism or Down syndrome or cerebral palsy, it's one person because we are all so unique mm -hmm. and individualized as we as human beings are too. Tracy. And I, I just, I just think that it's important to recognize that everybody has challenges, no matter if you have a diagnosis, a label, whatever it may be. We all have challenges. We all have potential. We all have room for growth. Mm -hmm. And where autism is a spectrum and we change our, it's very natural and normal for people to change their place on the spectrum. So is life. Yes. Again, we, we all, we might take a few steps forward, a few steps back, but there's always room for growth and yeah. for improvement. Oh, I so agree with that. Well, and it's kind of like that term special needs, right? Everybody has special needs. Oh, boy, howdy. Yeah. Yes, right? My husband's some, here. I'm looking at my husband. Don't we all have special needs, honey? Yes. And some <laughs> some people are better at hiding their struggles mm -hmm. than, than others. That it, is true. It doesn't, yeah. it doesn't yeah. mean that somebody is better or worse. But right. if you're, you know, if... If it's shamed that you are different, everybody's different, but it's shamed that you are different, then people are going to be less willing to right. express their challenges and get the help they need. Yeah. And I'm even going to go so far as to say this as like a family that has children with autism, families you know, you might compare your family to another family that has, you know, children that are also on the spectrum and you really start um, being critical of yourself as a parent or how your family is doing or choices that you're making. And again, you can't see, you know, uh, social media is one of those, uh, you know, it, it's nice to stay connected with people, okay. but people use it as the highlight reel. Right. And so you have to understand that what people are showing publicly is probably not what's really happening behind the scenes. Right. And so I just also think that as individuals, we need to have grace. But as, you know, like parents, you also need to give you yourself some grace as well, because you're not seeing um, everything. So um, so that's something to consider. Would and you go? Oh, go ahead, Tracy. If if I just may, um, you know, you, you talked about parents giving grace to themselves and being hard on themselves. And, you know, parents should be proud of themselves and everything they're they're trying to do for their children. I think the only part where it comes in where people should 
pull back is anytime it's a disgrace is if you are shaming somebody yes. who has a challenge, no matter what it may be, and trying to hide what the challenge is. Because there's there's nothing to be ashamed of, whether the individual or, or the parent. And I think that's where the problem lies is sometimes people are being shamed for having a challenge and People should be revered for being open about it and for being willing to take on that challenge and build and grow and continue to learn. No, that's so true. John, you had something to add? I I think I just kind of build on that a little bit. Um, A lot of autistics and myself in general um, engage in what's called masking, right? Yeah. And I, I don't feel like had I not put the amount of effort into masking um, my autism as I have, that I would be as successful as I am today. And that sucks because all we're really looking for is acceptance, right? Um, and the amount of masking that I have to do on a daily basis just to, to get through a day is incredibly taxing. Um, And there are a lot of individuals who are not just on the autism spectrum who deal with this as well. And it, it's very, it, 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 it has a very bad impact on your mental health. Yes. Well, and Tracy, I hope you don't mind if I share this. Um, You had gotten back to our house on Sunday and we were, you're staying, she's staying in my fifth wheel only just because with as many kids as we have and all the chaos in the house, I just thought that would be a more pleasant experience because it's be real. I like to go hide in the camper, the fifth wheel and hide from my life sometimes too. So anyway, so she's staying at my, my beautiful fifth wheel, which I absolutely love. Um, And so we text back and forth. And so on Sunday she had said, you know, at some point I'd love to meet your family. And so I had, it was in the evening time and I had said, oh, well, almost all of them were home at the time. And um, so if you want to meet them then, and you were, you were very honest with me and said, you know what, as the day gets longer, I just get really tired. And I don't think that I can do that. And I was like, and you were like, and then you were worried that you offended me. And of course you didn't. And I just appreciated your honesty because again, as a person that, you know, operates more in the neurotypical world, I really need those cues because, you know, with my son, Caleb, I don't even think of, I would never ask him to do something late in the day that's social related unless we absolutely had to. And so I was, you know, you forget because, you know, you are a very dynamic woman. You're very outgoing. I forget that with other individuals on the spectrum. So I thought that was wonderful that you just said, I hope you don't mind, but you were really worried that you had offended me, which of course, not even a little bit. Thank you. I, you know, I, again, I've, I've learned, um, I've now had 50 years of practice and at heart, I can't say I'm, I'm outgoing. It's, it's all genuine, but it takes a lot of effort. And where I, in years past, part, part, thank you for who you are, because you allowed me to take the risk of being honest. But what I have found is that often if I, push too far past than where I'm at, I risk offending either way. And I, tr- I try now to more go with the honesty than try to make the effort and the effort will fail because I won't be able to, I don't have the energy, I don't have anything left in me to 
express what I want to express. And when I get too overwhelmed and too tired and just have nothing left, I come off snippy and rude Mm -hmm. and offensive. And that's the last thing that I mean to do. So, well, I appreciate that. I mean, because it's true. All of us are that way. Are we not? I mean, especially me as a parent. I mean, let's be real. Like by the end of the week and all of the requests from all of the kids, it's like, yeah, I get there pretty quick. John, do you mind um, if I share kind of because you have you are similar in that you were very open on social media. We're, we're social media friends mm-hmm. and you get to that point. You live your life very openly on social media, which I think is a really number one. I think it's wonderful because it puts, it gives a perspective to those that you choose to be friends with just kind of where you're at and kind of when you hit your limits. And there are times where you get mad and you express your anger um, because you probably have been masking, you're tired, you work a lot. Um, also, I think there's the weight of the autism community. A lot of times you feel like it's on your shoulders because you are one of the few individuals on the spectrum that feels comfortable speaking publicly about different things and advocating. And so that is a lot of pressure for you. And so there are times where you get angry on social media and you put out there how you feel. And then sometimes you will go back and then take it down because then you have some time. So you want to talk about kind of that process and does it help you to do that? Is it still difficult? Like, you know, so if you wouldn't mind just sharing your, I hope I'm not picking on you. No, no, absolutely. This is perfect. So that's something that I've struggled with for years. And um, it wasn't until I got the opportunity to go for Leadership Spokane that I really started thinking about my communication styles and how I was communicating when I was upset. I think over the years, I've burned a lot of bridges. I used to be famous for these flamer emails. I've got um, a <laughs> <laughs> um, oh, Let's be real. But we're still friends, yeah, right, John? Because yeah. I'm like, oh, John, you're upset. Yeah. You have feelings about this, which, um, again, I think we need yeah. to honor that. But yes, yeah. the flaming emails. So I think that it's important to sometimes take a step back and just kind of relook at things. And in my early years, I was one of probably one of those angry autism activists that you see always complaining about something or or fighting against a machine or something. And I just had to learn how to take a step back and consider things from different angles. Sometimes just turn off my phone or my computer when I know I'm going to be amped up. Yeah. Um, what's helpful now is that I have a really good group of professional friends that I can lean on and send things to especially when I'm making social media posts so that they can check it for me mm-hmm. and make sure that the tone is correct. So, yeah. And the nice thing about social media is you can choose to be friends with who you want to be friends with. Right. So again, you know, there are some people maybe you choose to not be friends with on social media because yeah. then when you do have your angry moments or frustrated moments and it's, you're entitled to be frustrated at from time yeah. to time. And you know, you and I are similar in that. I feel like I have to live my life very pub. Well, I don't have to, I do live my life very publicly. And so then when things are on fire and like there's flames everywhere, it's kind of like, well, this is us and yeah. like it or leave it. Yeah. You know what I mean? And yeah. John, you're that way too, is that that's part of how you support your community is, is that, you know, it's the good you know, the awesome and sometimes the ugly because yeah. it's not always rainbows and sunshine, right? So, yeah. yeah, yeah. Well, and that's been frustrating too because I've been in several public positions within either the city or the county where as an activist, you just get so frustrated with how things are going or how things are moving. I just, I have to remember to just take that step back and 
just kind of think about what I want to say. I was actually kind of nervous coming today because I knew there would be a lot of parents in the room. And I texted my friend Katrina. I'm like, you have to be available for the next two hours so I can check what I want to say. Oh, um, <laughs> no, um, but I will never um, let. Yeah, I always, I, 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 I always try to be mindful. Yeah. Um, I will even protect you from yourself if I think, hey, John, mayday, mayday. Um, don't. Yeah, because sometimes, yeah. You, yeah. So, but that's a cool thing, too, is you have some neurotypical friends that yeah. are there to support you. So um, there's that. Tracy. Yeah, I, I just I just wanted to mention one. I can relate to the, you know, flaming emails and not not quite in the same way. Again, I never set out to be an, an advocate, but just things that I've gotten frustrated with and and didn't understand and, and took personally because I am so literal and because I have a different way of looking at the world and communicating. And I think autism is a neurological disorder. And where I agree with you, it is so important to, you know, to learn and take a step back when you're frustrated. That, at least for me, and I've got, I've become better, it's not, I, I call them Aspie moments. Because of that reaction, that immediate re- reaction, it's not always in the forefront. Oh, wait, I can't react. I have to take a step back. And that's important to learn, but that's not always possible in the moment. And Mm -hmm. so, you know, people need to be understanding. We need to be aware, but people also need to be understanding. And um, which is why we do these podcasts, because I think it's through these opportunities for people in our community to understand Mm -hmm. those those differences and how those on the spectrum communicate and express frustration at times. Do you guys mind if I use the term advocate just for the purpose of this? Um, I had a couple questions because you you guys live very publicly in terms of I mean, as a as a book author, and then John, in terms of the work that you do in the community, if why is it important? So if we have we have self-advocates that follow our show, um, why is it important to you to be a community advocate for individuals on the autism spectrum? So do you want to start, John, or do you want Tracy to start? Um, Tracy, why don't you go first? Sure. So again, the reason I wrote my first book and then wrote my second autism book is because w- with, with my social media, I, I try to keep it positive. There's so much junk out there. And again, the honest moments I think are wonderful, but I just personally try to keep it positive. But, you know, it's, it's really easy to share your successes, but People also need to know about the skeletons. They need to know they're not alone. They need to know they're not the only one. They need to know that that they can grow and they can learn. And I know for me, when I first learned autism existed and started reading about it, it was it was the books that I read and the the people I met who were willing to share the the good and the ugly. And let me realize that, oh, I'm not the only one. I'm not alone. I'm not this idiot, this weirdo that people tell me I am. And I can learn and I can grow. Yeah. And, you know, it's it's hard to share those skeletons, to share the things that I'm not oh, proud it's of. It's hard to be vulnerable. Um, yeah. 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 And, you know, you're you always are risk 
are, are being judged. Um, but there's, but it's worth it if it helps, at least for me, it's worth it if it helps just even one other person. I agree, which is why we started doing this podcast, Isaac's Autism Wild, because I, you know, because I have had two biological children with autism, Isaac, who passed away, and then Caleb. And one of the things is I, I've said this probably a hundred times on different podcasts and even just giving presentations and speeches is that my parenting experience was very dark and terrifying when I was Isaac's mother because that was 16 years ago and I didn't know anybody that had a child with autism. So all of my friends were naming, were, were raising children that I couldn't, that had different experiences and different trajectory. And so everything was just so much harder. And, um, I was getting tired of them giving me their great advice, um, that they think I should, you know, implement with my own child. So I felt very isolated and alone. And then when Caleb started having signs that he also was on the spectrum, I mean, granted, I, I get that I do the Isaac Foundation, so I had a lot more um, knowledge of autism. But I really honestly think the biggest thing was I didn't feel like I was alone. And so that normalizing some of as a self as self advocates individuals on the spectrum i think it's really helpful to put that out there because it helps to normalize you know caleb sometimes feels like he's an alien because it's like i don't really feel like i i get people and i don't think that they understand me so you start feeling like you're you know detached from your community and so by creating places where they can have that community and have some of those shared experiences it normalizes it and i think it's nor it's very normalizing for parents. It's normalizing for, for individuals. And so that's why I do love your book for that reason, because I think it really normalizes and just shares that so people can relate to it and get some understanding of themselves. So John, how do you feel about why it's important to be a community advocate for your community? Yeah. So in one form or another, I've always been involved in government and I believe that individuals with disabilities are some of the least represented by their government, right? And so just getting involved, when I first got involved in this field, it was um, 2005, my dad was on the board of the Ark of Spokane and a guy named Lance Morehouse um, picked my name out of a hat to go to DC and I was hooked after that um, because I knew that if I wanted to see changes for people with disabilities, that that was the best way to do it. And so I think that oftentimes, and this isn't just for people with disabilities, is that we as citizens, we just, the issues are so big that we feel like our voice and our vote doesn't matter. And we've seen this, I think, in the last week, right? Our District 1 race is down by five votes. Yeah. Um, we should get the results of that hand recount tomorrow. People need to know that their voice matters. Yeah. And sometimes people need help to, to get their voices heard. And if I'm proud of anything that I've done in this life is being able to be that conduit. Like, it's not just John. It's for everybody. Yeah. Um, and for those who don't have a voice. Yeah. Yes. Because that's very true, John, is that you and you and Tracy and many others on the autism spectrum have have a voice and an ability to communicate and express your needs, wants, frustrations. But then there's those like my husband's son, John or Cooper, who has no voice. And John, you've met him before. Mm -hmm. And that's the hard part is, is that he has no voice. And so it's really important that you guys 
you advocate as you do because you, you know, keeping in mind that you do a really nice job at representing the entire community, not just those that have the ability to express their needs, wants, and frustrations, but you also are conscious of those that don't. And so you try and advocate for those that don't have the ability to speak because what works for those that can communicate and what works for those that don't have the ability to communicate look very differently. And so we can't have a one size fits all approach. And, and can I just mention and remind everybody, not saying that, that you need reminders, but those, those who might be nonverbal and who don't literally have a voice it doesn't mean that they don't have the ability to communicate and it doesn't mean that they're not communicating we communicate differently whether we have a voice or not and I think that is something that is so lost not only with autism but in our world at large I say this a thousand times but behavior is communication and John actually when we were talking we were podcasting actually and I was frustrated about something. So I was saying, you know, for Cooper, who's, you know, my stepson that's right here. And I was saying, you know, I'm really frustrated about X, Y, and Z. He stood up and was pacing behind me and he was like getting more like smiley and giggly. And I'm like, see, I think he's actually telling me, yeah, that's exactly what I yeah, mean. Cause yeah. I was frustrated, but he really lit up in that moment right. where I was like, Ugh. um, and so yeah. you're absolutely right. Behavior is communication. And yes. he definitely tells us his preferences and when he's happy and when he's not happy with the choices that are presented to us, he right. definitely lets us know. So you're right. He does have a very strong voice. Well, in those discussions that we've been having within the neurodivergence community, I hate the word nonverbal. I do too. Um, And I'm, I guess the new term now is non-speaking, right? Somebody who can't physically use their voice, but everybody has a propensity for communication with at work. I've seen so many individuals who significantly touch by their disabilities that communication is a challenge for them. But if you put an iPad in front of them with probably quote to go, they're sad. Yeah. And that is how they can communicate. So I think that that is super important. So I have one final question that I was going to ask you. Um, because one of the things that I think you as I would say you are very inspiring is that you are public and you are good advocates for those on the autism community. So when we talk about needing more voices, um, if you had a young person that was standing in front of us or sitting here in the audience today, what would be some advice to support them or encourage them in some way? Take that step, perhaps be more vocal and express more preferences or a desire to see things change. What would that look like? If you had one piece of advice or even a couple, what would that look like? First, in terms of, you know, when I used the term nonverbal, I meant no disrespect. Oh, sure. No, no. Um, yeah, I at all. meant non-speaking. But in in terms of, you know, young individuals, never doubt yourself. Always remember that you, again, I I keep harping on it, but you always have the ability to learn. You always have potential. And something that you might not be able to do right now, find later um, that you will. And just keep expressing your your needs and your wants with an open mind of learning at the same time and considering other things and finding what works best for you. Don't let other people try to define what is right for you. You know yourself best. Wonderful. Tracy, I wanted to give you some time to talk about an online 
opportunity for those that are on the spectrum? Is it just for individuals on the spectrum? Would you talk about the online support group that you, uh, community, I should say, it's really a community. Sure, sure. So um, like I mentioned earlier, Full Spectrum Agency for Autistic Adults is, um, it, it is, it's a community. Um, it, it is, it's for people on the spectrum, whether you have a diagnosis or not. I've been asked with people who have other labels of disabilities, well, would this be right? Basically, what, what we say is if you want to come try us out, if you feel like you belong here, then you belong here, period. Yeah. Um, in terms of the opportunities, we, yes, we're based in Michigan, but we do, since the onset of the pandemic and the platform um, is not going to go away, we do a lot of events via Zoom. We do peer support groups. We do, you know, talking about disclosure in the workplace. We have different speakers and all of those are, are most, most of the events are free. We've started offering some smaller um, support groups just because when you have 30, 40 people at an event, um, not everybody has the opportunity to share and speak. And so those have a small fee attached um, to them. But again, they're they're, they're open to, to everybody. And all um, ages, too. 18 and over, 18 because and over. It, is, yeah. it is for adults. If there is teen um, or somebody close to 18 who would like to be a part of it, um, we just need to speak with the parents. Okay. But, yeah. And it's, how would they find the group? Um, it's fullspectrumasd.org. Okay. And so we'll also put that information in the show notes, so that way if anyone's listening and it wants to find it, we'll put it there. John, did you find? Sure, yes. So I think that the biggest thing I would say to young people and their parents is um, a quote that my friend Catherine Titus, who works for Wise, has on her wall um, by a guy named Norm Kuntz. And um, it says that opportunity is what creates ability. And so I would encourage families to look for opportunities and self-advocates to look for opportunities. Um, a lot of people on the autism spectrum have really um, broad interests, right? And I'm always thinking about how can we turn those interests into employment? How can we make sure that by the time this person turns 18, that they are on a pathway to employment? Um, and so looking for those different opportunities, whether it's attending the skills center and learning, you know, how to work in a restaurant or, or, you know, a lot of people with disabilities are really into art and drawing and being able to tap into those things, but tapping into learning to create more opportunities for individuals, um, I think is really important. The other thing that I would tell parents is not to get downtrodden by other self-advocates. There are a lot of noisy self-advocates on the autism dark web um, who have really been bringing down a lot of parents. And it, it frustrates me to no end because parents have a hard enough job as it is. They don't need self-advocates telling them, what therapy they should be getting for their kids. Oh, ABA is bad. Don't do it. You're putting your son through or daughter for abuse. That's crap. Yeah. Like self-advocates should have zero to say to any parents about treatment or therapies or anything that they receive for their kids. Well, um, I appreciate that because, yeah, we 
do get the martyr mom um, rap at times. So thank you, John. You've you've mentioned that before publicly, and that means a lot. Um, I'm going to actually just take a moment and make a selfish plug for Isaac's Clubhouse because, as what you just yeah. said, John, um, you know. We are launching in September Isaac's Clubhouse here in Spokane, and it's a safe place. It is not. There's zero therapy intervention or social practicing within our clubhouse. It is an organic place for them to come after school, and we have um, one Saturday a month that we'll be doing it where we have interest-based activities that are provided within the clubhouse. Um, one, for them to start connecting with people that are within their community and in an organic way without the forced social awkwardness right. that we oftentimes is really um, worked on at school. Mm -hmm. um, so there is a time and a place to work on social skill building. I'm not going to say that there's not, but we wanted to create an organic place for them to explore those natural interests. And the hope is, is that if we can keep, keep them connected within the clubhouse, number one, they're going to make connections, um, peer connections, but also two, hopefully they become more confident in those interests that they have, even maybe as a group, so that we can help them, because we want kids to start joining in middle school, in middle seventh and eighth grade, sixth grade even. We want them to start coming to the clubhouse to start exploring these interests, because then that's going to help us help them know what types of things they want to be exploring when they get into high school or maybe they do want to do the skill center where they're you know doing more of a you know trade um, then it helps them to decide what they want to do after they're done with high school it builds skills and confidence yes. so that then they are willing to take that first step and so um, understand that while you know we are creating the clubhouse because we just want it to be fun and a place for them to socially connect and not have all of the burdens of neurotypical expectations of relationships and social interaction, but really it's also to give them a safe place to explore some of those natural interests. And sometimes there's a financial barrier for them to be able to even try some of those things. So yeah. we're going to take some of that financial barrier off um, so that they can just explore some cool stuff. So Tracy, like yeah, Tracy, you wanted to say something as a final thought? Um, if I may just add on to a little bit of what, what John said, in terms of for parents and all the, you know, noisy advocates out there, um, you know, ad advocating for your children should, again, that's a wonderful thing to do and tune out, ignore, turn off the, the noisiness. But advocating for your child is advocating for your child, listen to your child. If yes. you're, if you are trying one thing that a professional is telling you is right and your child is telling you it's not, listen to your mm -hmm. child. There are all different kinds of professionals out there, some better than, than others, but you know your child best and your child knows himself best with, with guidance. And the other piece I, I just wanted to add to you're talking about employment and people on the spectrum do have a lot of potential and ability. And it's, it's very interesting. Some might think of us as slower and taking longer to do a job. And that can be true in some cases, but also it has to do with most people on the spectrum are very, very thorough. And we want to do the job well, yep. and we want to do it right. And my colleague shared with me the other day, um, again, we're a small nonprofit. So, you know, we rely on donations and we have financial 
limitations and needs. And in trying to work through some things, she was talking with a neurotypical colleague and um, what they told her in terms of the financial struggles and often people on the spectrum are not paid for all the hours they actually work. And, you know, what do I do? What do we do? He said, well, just do a lesser job. And number one, that's, that's not acceptable for, for most of us. And number two, if you really think about it, if you're really logical about it, if you do a lesser job, it's going to cost you more anyway, because you're not doing it right. And you're going to have to circle back around and do it again. Yeah. So, which is which is better? Yeah. And and it's certainly, at least in in and I'm sorry, this is a hot button for me. This is something I'm passionate about. To me, it's never okay to do a lesser job um, on anything when you know you're not doing something to your potential. Oh, that's so true. Totally agree. Um, and I think that that's something that I struggled with when I first started. Is like just kind of in employment in general is I was spending a lot of time working. But when I first started in this field, I volunteered for seven years straight before finding my first opportunity that led to a steady stream of employment. And I, I, I want so much for organizations that are for and about people with autism to figure out how to hire them. And put them to work because there are so many good individuals in in our movement um, who have so much to bring to the table that they it's so hard for self advocates to find that first opportunity. Yeah, agree. And then continuing opportunities yeah. after that. Yeah. And the the other reason why I do what I do and I wanted to write that. Um, that first book and have continued is I think there's such a disconnect between people on the spectrum and people who are not. Mm -hmm. And there is a huge, huge difference between knowledge and real understanding. And I really think that we need to bridge that gap. And like John is saying, um, employing people on the spectrum can help that gap. Oh, I absolutely, every, every little bit helps, you know, the more employers that are willing to do it and they have positive experiences and just organizations, self-advocates, even siblings, um, advocating for their loved ones that are on the spectrum. I think it's all going to change and we're going to see some, some real change as, as the years continue. So thank you guys for joining for this episode. I really appreciate you guys taking the time. John, you and I are going to be podcasting again, doing a one-on-one here in the near future, because you have a very interesting um, beginning of life. And so we're going to talk a little bit about that. I'm sure we'll have Tracy on again, because this is your, our second time podcasting. So thank you guys for joining me. Thank you guys for being here and doing an unorthodox podcast. I really appreciate it. And with that, we'll wrap up this episode of Isaac's Autism in the Wild. And that's it for now. If you want to be notified of our next podcast release, be sure to hit subscribe. And just remember, we're all in this together. So find your tribe and hold them tight.